Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. In my home for this podcast, sitting around the round table, is my friend Adam Garrett. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. It's good to be with you. (laughs) Adam is um, willing to bravely share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. And as you probably know, I try to do a little bit of an introduction, and then I get my guests to make sure I said that right. Um, Adam is 29. He is a physician assistant, so he's done with college, he's done with post-college, and he's practicing, if that's the right term, in Bakersfield, California. He's served a mission in a country I want to go to sometime. My wife and I have talked about going to Costa Rica. You serve there. Um, What a beautiful place to serve. Um, Adam is one of eight children. He came out in about 2019. He then did a Facebook post in 2021, June of 2021, um, which we'll put in the show notes of the podcast. You can read the whole Facebook post, terrific Facebook post. He may talk about that, but Adam's just going to share his story. He's going to share insights. He's going to share insights for allies, potentially scriptures that resonate for him. And I think our joint prayers, if you're closeted or early on this road, that Adam's story will help you help you feel um, hope, no shame, and just a feeling about your future. And that if you're a parent or an ally, that hearing Adam's story will give you ideas of how you can help support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. So whenever one of the one of my guests joins me on Zoom or walks through the front door, they're just heroes for me. I get emotional for their courage to share their stories. They're the heroes of this podcast, and they're often nervous. It takes a lot of courage because so many of you out there are listening. I think our listenership is well over 20,000 per episode, and that can be a little overwhelming for my guests, but it's the guests that make it work. And um, they're the guests that are helping us create Zion as we just better understand and support each other. We're all children of the same heavenly parents. And all were in that same pre-existence together, um, voted on the same plan. So we're really all here together to support and help each other. Is that okay for an introduction, Adam? Certainly. I'm just going, and Adam's sort of um, kind of at a fork in the road. He'll get to that, but a lot of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints eventually hit a fork in the road, deciding, am I going to date? Am I going to stay celibate? Am I going to marry a woman? Um, And at 29 and um, David Archuleta is probably a really good example at 31. He's at the fork in the road, has been honest about that. And I think Adam may share in this podcast just a little bit more of that fork in the road as reality in his life. And he's trying to figure out um, kind of exactly his best path forward. I don't want to talk anymore, but I will say if you're younger, you know, pre-mission age, I think you can push the fork in the road into your 20s or late 20s potentially. Um, even though you will face that fork in the road, I think you can build a real good spiritual foundation now um, and not be sort of worried about the anxiety of exactly how it's going to work for you. And maybe that's what Adam's done and he'll share because he is in a really good spot spiritually, emotionally, just with his career. And I think when you hit these fork in the roads, you need to be your best personal self to make the, make the very, very best decision. All right, I'm done. <laughs> that was three minutes, and I try to get a little shorter, but um, go ahead, Adam. You're on. Okay, well, I was definitely very hesitant to come on a podcast. I feel like I'm <laughs> pretty average guy, but I also kind of felt like I had to have it all figured out before I came on a podcast, but 
um, after a lot of fasting and prayer, I, I really feel like I need to do this now. Um, and I'm sure like, just as a disclaimer that I'll look back <laughs> and think that I've, that my views have changed and I'll probably have different experiences and understanding of these things. Um, but yeah, I think we, we quote a lot, Ether 12 verse six, where it says, faith is things which are hoped for and not seen, wherefore dispute not because ye see not. And then it says, for ye receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. I think we often wait until we have these grand experiences or until after these trials. Um, but I want, I want people to hear kind of my take on things kind of during <laughs> in the thick of things. I, I wish that I had it all figured out. And I think that's, that's what life's all about is trying to, trying to come to terms with things. Um, so yeah, I, I've, I was born and raised in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and um, still am an active member. Um, as uh, Richard said, I'm, I'm a physician assistant. Um, a lot of people get that confused with a medical assistant or call it a physician's assistant. Um, and then my orientation as well, um, kind of all often misunderstood. And I feel like we all at some point in our lives feel, feel very misunderstood. So um, yeah, I kind of like the title of a, a modern gay pioneer. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> um, I do feel like in some ways I'm kind of, um, paving the way for, for other people and, um, creating kind of a safe space in, in my family and hopefully in, in the wards that I've, I've been in and will be in the future. Um, but yeah, like husband said, I turned 29 and my life doesn't look <laughs> a thing like I thought that it would at this point in my life. Um, I think growing up, I had, um, a very different idea of what, yeah, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what my life would look like. Certainly, I, I thought at this point I'd have married a woman and have many kids. And, <laughs> um, and that, that hasn't been the case. Um, and there, I'll admit, there is some kind of heartbreak with that. And, um, but honestly, I, I know that like I'm where, I, where I'm supposed to be. Um, a quote that I really love uh, from our prophet Harold B. Lee um, he said, the true church is intended not only to comfort the afflicted, but to afflict the comforted. And I would also add comfortable. Um, I think many members in the church are often kind of comfortable and have this idea that all is well in Zion. Um, and I feel that there is a lot that needs to change in our church culture. And so I hope to, um, by sharing my story, uh, it might make you uncomfortable, <laughs> but I pray that you can um, feel the spirit and, and understand what, what is truth. Um, so kind of throughout this podcast, I'll, I'll use the term gay. And, and I do want to make it clear as, as of other people, I know David Archuleta as well has kind of emphasized that it's not as much about uh, sex as it is on genuine connection and really, um, yeah, att attraction. I, I, for as long as I can remember, I've been more attracted to men than I have been to women. Um, so I'll kind of just start kind of in my childhood years. So, um, yeah, like has been said, I grew up um, with a lot of siblings. Um, my parents recently, well, I guess a few years ago, they adopted two boys. But growing up, I had five siblings, um, very loving home. Um, I have four sisters. So, yeah, I definitely grew up. <laughs> 
playing with Barbies. I loved designing their homes. Um, but then, yeah, with my brother, I loved playing Legos and Pokemon cards. Um, I loved decorating for holidays. I was obsessed with magic. Um, I loved Harry Potter um, music. I played the viola and piano. I was in choir. Um, kind of earlier on, I, I will say that like, even in, yeah, just the bathtub. I I remember like with Barbie dolls, like the Ken doll and the Barbie doll. And I just remember thinking that, oh, the Ken doll just, <laughs> just, uh, I, just an innocent attraction more to that, more so than to the Barbie doll. Um, another thing, I, I'm 5'6", maybe 5'7". <laughs> um, so I've always kind of been shorter. Um, and that was something that I that I recognized, like I wanted God to to change how he created me. And that was something that I kind of had to come to terms with as well um, in my childhood, realizing that, like, this is just who I am. This is how I am. Um, <laughs> and uh, the quicker that I can accept that, the happier I'll be. Um, I feel like kind of growing up as a middle child, I never wanted to be a burden. And I feel like a lot of priesthood leaders um, um, and others in my life kind of would say comments like, I never have to worry about you. Um, and I know that that's well-meaning, but at the same time, I, I somewhat wish that um, people could have understood like the hurt, the hurt that I felt and that I could have been more open um, as a kid about my experiences. Um, Definitely like growing up in the church, kind of with um, kind of cultural things with dating and stuff like that. I remember being in a lot of social settings and feeling pretty uncomfortable, kind of being interrogated about like my my dating history and like uh, who, how many people I've kissed. And um, honestly, I I hadn't even kissed anybody until like three or four years ago. So um, I always felt very uncomfortable with that. I wish that I could have been more open. Um, and then, so around high school, I was participating in a lot of theater. Um, I was in plays. Um, and I remember kind of just kind of the the pool scene and also like locker rooms, um, just seeing a lot of shirtless men. I, I started to become very curious. Um, and so I kind of sought out like YouTube videos and just images of like shirtless men, um, purely innocent. Um, and I found myself kind of um, becoming more and more curious um, and eventually kind of yeah, discovered masturbation. And um, uh, honestly, before my mission, it was um, very innocent, um, no nudity involved. And I, I, yeah, it was something that I felt a lot of shame and guilt about. Um, and I was able to um, talk with my priesthood leaders and, um, I felt that I um, fully repented before serving a full-time mission in Costa Rica. Um, coming home from my mission, I, I, did, um, I did resort to kind of those old habits um, and eventually did kind of turn into, yeah, unwanted pornography use. Um, I'd, for listeners who are struggling with this, I want to be clear, like I, I truly felt like I was the only person on planet earth who, who was gay and a member of the church viewing gay pornography. I thought that that was such a unique situation. And the more that I've been in this space and talked to other people, um, 
I would say that it's almost the rule versus the exception that so many um, gay members of the church feel that they can't date. And so it seems almost natural to discover their sexuality by means of pornography. And I, I hope that that can change. Um, I hope that we can create a safe environment where members are able to um, come to terms with their sexuality in more healthy ways um, than pornography. Um, um, on behalf of our listeners, Adam, thanks for your courage just to talk about that. It's pretty personal, pretty tender, pretty vulnerable. But I just, my feeling is there's people who need to hear that, that have never are concluding the same thing about them. I think we're both yeah. teaching that pornography is a sin, but I've always felt um, perhaps the greater challenge with that is the shame it creates and the feelings that you're describing, um, unworthy of God's love. And the ice, I think Satan really wins if he can isolate you through shame from the love of your heavenly parents, a feeling of hope for the future, isolation in this conclusion about you. And I think one of the best ways to eliminate the shame is to sort of talk about this the way you're talking about it. So it's courageous what you've just done. Um, and it helps other people. And going along with that, I um, would always <laughs> kind of use terminology such as addiction and kind of would view myself in that negative light as like an addict. Um, but I mean, in visiting with like counselors and therapists, um, I recognize that it doesn't like detract from like my day-to-day -day life. Um, I feel like there's kind of a void um, and it often is triggered by, yeah, many emotions, either loneliness or stress, anxiety, so many things that um, can cause that. And so, yeah, kind of highlighting, yeah, this, this difference between like guilt and shame. There is, um, kind of this guilt that, that comes from God. And I do see it as a gift. It's a gift of guilt. Um, a lot of G's in there. Um, it comes from God and it leads to growth. And I think that's the key is that when it helps us lead to repentance, um, that, is, that is from God. Um, in Alma 42, 29, um, it says, and this is Alma talking to his son. He says, and now my son, I desire that you should let these things trouble you no more and only let your sins trouble you with that trouble, or as I would say, guilt, which shall bring you down unto repentance. And that's kind of in contrast to, to shame, um, which so many of us feel. And shame comes from Satan. And he wants that to, he wants our sins to be kept secret. Um, one of the first commandments of Satan is to hide. Um, and so I feel like with, with regards to pornography, there's a lot of shame. I think guilt, guilt will lead us to repent. Um, I, I think in the example of Adam and Eve, it says that when they were in the Garden of Eden, they were naked and they were not ashamed. But then after Satan tempted them and they partook of the fruit, it says that the eyes of them both were opened. And then what did they do? It said that they, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I think a lot of times we try to cover our sins um, kind of with these quick fixes. Um, whereas when, when we truly feel gift, uh, guilt that leads us to repentance, that's when we can have allow the atonement of Jesus Christ to, to cover our sins with um, 
as as he did with Adam and Eve with the with the coat of skins. And I think about my temple covenants and how um, those can be a, a protection to me um, as I as I repent of those sins that I've that I've made. This is really good stuff, Adam. And um, let me just say something. I love your use of unwanted pornography use. I, and I love just that vocabulary. That doesn't, that's not giving a pass on pornography, but that's framing it up as really the way I think what's going on here. I don't think you said, what are the 10 things I can do to displease God and put this on the list and said, okay, I'm going to do this one. I think it came into your life the way you're describing it. Still a sin, but I don't think it was an addiction. And I think we're quick, quick, as you just said, to label as an addiction. Then I think it may be harder to overcome it if we sort of, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So a lot, you know, I'm not an expert in this subject, but we've had a lot of people on that have talked about it. So I think that's just a better way to frame it up. And I think it's more likely um, to connect the dots and understand sort of what's going on behind the unwanted pornography used to put it behind you. So now I just kind of want to tell my story kind of coming to terms with my sexuality. So when I came home from my mission in Costa Rica, um, as so often happens, I kind of felt the pressure of <laughs> dating. Well, well, now what? Now I need to find a family and settle down. Um, so yeah, I found um, a really good ward at BYU and um, was very dedicated to my studies. Um, and yeah, in my dating, um, efforts with women, I, I just found that I wasn't really <laughs> feeling it. <laughs> I was doing all the right things. Um, but yeah, a lot of times I would just get comments like, ah, oh, I think we should just be friends. <laughs> um, and so I, I really, I, I kind of always sensed that I was gay, but honestly, I just shut out that feeling. I legitimately thought like, I, I can't, I can't be gay. Kind of going back to like how I felt about my height, that like, this is something that I want God to change. Um, and something that has really helped me, a quote by David A. Benner from a CES devotional in 2016, um, entitled Accepting the Lord's Will and Timing. In that devotional, he said, even if we have strong faith, many mountains will not be moved. Um, and I would just encourage those who are, are closeted um, to continue to pray. Um, as it says in Alma 34, 26, you must pour out your souls in your closets. But don't pray to have him take the gay away. Um, I felt so often that I wanted God to take this part, away, part of me away. And that then I would be whole. But as I've come to terms with my sexuality, I've understood that that part of me is, is whole. Um, and as I've come to differentiate um, the unwanted pornography use versus my, my sexual attraction and my orientation, that that part of me is whole versus the pornography use, which I view as, as a sin. Um, so I would just encourage those who are struggling, um, that like 
what would you be without being gay? Um, that is so much a part of like me and who I am, my personality. Um, and I've realized that that's how I connect and how I can share my testimony with others. So strip me of that and, and who am I? Um, while I, I recognize that I have many other titles, um, a son, um, a brother, a PA, a son of God. Um, I, I see being gay as a positive, a positive trait that helps me to more fully connect with people. I hear a lot of people kind of bring up, well, why do we have to use labels? It, it divides us. For me, it's, it's united me. It's helped me to not feel alone in my experience. And so I, I came out to let people in, to let people hear my voice um, as a gay man who, who chooses to stay and to actively participate in, in my religion. So kind of in college, I struggled with, with dating. And then I um, went on to um, get my master's degree and become a PA. Um, during my final year of, of that, I did rotations in different places. And so um, I would stay with my siblings sometimes. And um, on one occasion, I had um, one of my sisters, my car had broken down and she was taking me to um, make sure that, that it was able to get towed. And so on that car ride, she was very vulnerable and open with me about something in her life. And I just, I felt like it was the right timing. And so I just, and I had never told anybody about my, my attractions with, with previous bishops. I'd talked about pornography use and that they were male figures, but for some reason I had just never put two and two together that like I was attracted to the same sex. And so it finally just came out. And from that time on, I just, I felt so much more open and because of my sister's loving reaction and response, um, everything changed for me. Um, so since I've came out um, and I began by just becoming more open with each of my siblings and then eventually my parents, um, and then last summer I publicly posted on Facebook but since I've kind of been more open about my experience, I've, I've felt the spirit more in my life and I felt more spiritual promptings than I ever had before. Um, and I think that comes because I'm, I'm being more open. I'm opening up my heart, um, not just to myself, but to others and also to God. Um, just last summer, um, I was driving and, pondering about these, these issues. And, um, I felt a very strong spiritual prompting. Um, and for me, sometimes prompting can be hard to put into words, but, um, the idea that I felt was that the savior isn't going to return until we as a church have fully gathered his LGBTQ plus children. Um, I think I'd all, always thought that the second coming was just a matter of like us waiting for God, but I think God is waiting for us. He's waiting for us to create, create Zion 
where all are welcome and where all are part of the body of Christ. Um, I used to kind of fear people different than myself, but I've come to realize that we each have a unique place and role in his kingdom. And so I, I felt called kind of in that, in that moment to, to try to help gather. Um, and I'm trying my best to do that in my ward and, and in my family. Um, additionally, other, other insights that I've had since, since coming out um, during the sacrament as well, I've, I've often felt a strong reassurance that, that Christ understands me and what it's like to be gay. Um, and I think, how could he not? Um, he was radical. He was really quite edgy. Um, he would call out Pharisees and Sadducees who were um, very strictly obedient. And I kind of see that kind of culture in the church um, of people who are very strictly obedient. And I've, I've had to contemplate like, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And I would, would emphasize as well, kind of with pornography use, um, that that has helped me understand the law of chastity so much more fully. Um, and I've had to understand and ask deep questions about why, why do I follow these, these commandments? Like the law of tithing, um, the, the word of wisdom. Um, and so rather than saying like, Oh, we just, we just don't drink tea or coffee or we don't drink alcohol. Um, why, why do I choose to not ingest those substances? Why do, why do I choose to save myself for marriage? Um, additionally, yeah, kind of after I came out, I did kind of go through a phase where I, and I, I still am in a phase where I am kind of um, questioning um, my beliefs. And that has been a really, really important phase in my journey. Um, and so there was a time where I was just just pondering like my future and what what would happen if I just were to stop attending church. And immediately I felt the spirit and and felt God reassuring reassuring me that that He would still love me. Um, and and even though I would receive that comfort. Um, I still attend church and I feel safe there. I feel needed. Um, and right now it's, it brings light and peace to my life. Um, but I certainly want to give space to those who, who don't find that church is a safe space for them. Or, um, but I would encourage them to find places and situations where they can feel God's love for them. I love that segment, Adam. Um, I don't know if this was word for word you prepared. It just came naturally, but I don't know if listeners picked up the two things he feels at church that helps him feel like church works for him. There were two words you used, safe and needed. And that could be a whole podcast on both of those words and what we all can do as members of the church to make sure everybody feels safe at church particularly LGBTQ Latter-day Saints or any other marginalized group, and needed. So it's not just that it's neutral for you, you feel safe, but you actually feel needed. And your, your presence there and your contributions help us become the body of Christ, prepare for the second coming. I love that segment too. 
yeah, just reach people in different ways. Recently, I've like with my extended family, um, I started with my immediate family, just giving a presentation about LGBTQ plus issues. And that has extended to my uh, extended family. And now we're having discussions on other topics such as mental health, um, immigration and uh, kind of the faith journey for those who are questioning their their faith. Um, and so I would encourage each and every one of our listeners to to think about what you can do to gather Zion in your sphere. Um, what God has called me to do is going to be very different from what he calls you to do. But I know that as you follow the spirit that you can receive promptings on what he needs you to do in, in his vineyard. So now I just kind of want to take a moment to give some suggestions for listeners who are wanting to know how they can be a better, better ally for LGBTQ plus individuals. Um, I think a common phrase that I've heard in my life is just have faith that will all work out in the next life. Um, and while I think those phrases are well-meaning, um, there's a lot implied that like we, we should yearn to be in the next life. And so I think it, um, can be very damaging to people because they, um, rather than showing love, it's kind of emphasizing that this life isn't going to be as good as the next. Um, another thing that I've noticed, um, the family is a beautiful thing. And I feel like in the church, we, we sing songs about families can be together forever, but for many LGBTQ plus individuals, such as myself, that, that can cause some heartbreak. Um, for me, I have always wanted to have kids. Um, and so kind of this idea that, and, and many of my older siblings have kids of their own. And um, there have been many nights where I've spent um, weeping because um, of a future that I don't know if I will have um, in the way that I had always envisioned it. So I think phrases such as we are all family. Um, emphasize more of this unity and of our eternal ex extended family. Um, I always, growing up, I always felt like I would kind of be the only one in my family that would be left out of the celestial kingdom. And as I've grown in my relationship with God, I, I trust him and that, that things will work out as long as we are doing our best to follow him. He doesn't want to exclude anybody from his, from his house. Um, just as we should be as open in our homes to those um, around us. Other suggestions um, for parents. I think it's important to ask the, the right questions. I, I think many people have in the past asked me, you like girls? <laughs> to which I usually would reply, yeah. <laughs> um, because I didn't either feel like it was a safe space or I just wasn't willing to open up and be vulnerable. Um, so something that I've noticed in my interactions with other people is that you have to create a safe space first. And I think one way to do that is to be vulnerable about something that either you're struggling with or that. Um, yeah, some sort of weakness that you've had. I, 
I think many times parents struggle with that. They don't want to show any signs of, of weakness because it, um, I don't know, might <laughs> discredit them instead of asking like, why are you telling me this? I've learned like, why haven't you told me this before? Like, why couldn't you trust me before? Um, so rather than asking like, do you like girls? <laughs> um, creating a safe space and saying like, oh, do you know that so-and-so is LGBTQ plus? I think that's so awesome. And then maybe creating after creating a safe space, asking like, do you like guys, girls, or both, or neither? Um, and making sure that that you make that um, that a normal thing and that you're creating a space where they know that there's unconditional love. Um, and, and following up, like if if you have feelings of attraction towards people of your same gender, let's work through it together. Um, having those thoughts and feelings isn't wrong. Um, and I think if, I mean, if your child does open up to you, believe them. <laughs> I don't say things like, well, why did you date that one girl? <laughs> I think you need to trust in their experiences. This is their story, their, their lived experiences. And so asking more clarifying questions um, that don't feel like you're you're attacking them or discrediting them. And in my experience, those that have trusted me, um, that I'll make the right decision and that I will um, follow my Heavenly Father's counsel, um, those are people that I would consider allies. Another key takeaway would, would be to not provide solutions. Um, especially in, in my situation as a gay member of the church, I feel like many um, members so often try to say like, well, you should, maybe you could adopt, maybe you could adopt kids. But I think that, and I'm not saying that that's not a good option for many people, but for me personally, I would not want to be a, a single parent. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it, it almost feels like a bandaid. It's just trying to, be a, a quick fix for um, kind of avoid that that may always be there um, and things like getting a dog or um, just being more involved in my career. I, I don't think that those are um, valid solutions. I think a, a better approach is to kind of ask questions to allow your child to kind of figure that out by themselves. Think of the potential options for them. Um, and which one they see as the best option for now. Another thing is that um, I never want people to kind of put me in a box and, and assume that I will always stay in that box or um, kind of be locked into a decision. Um, that's, that's, that's Satan's plan. <laughs> he wants us to not have our agency and just feel locked into to one choice. As I've made decisions and some have not been as good as others. I've felt empowered with agency that as we make decisions, we are more open to the spirit to help us see whether that was a good or bad choice and to realign our will with, with God's. Just in general, I would say that like in interactions with LGBTQ plus individuals, just, just love them without an agenda, without an outcome. So many people I feel like 
when they talk to me, I can sense that they either want me to stay single or they want me to marry a woman. Um, and so those, those interactions are less than ideal and I, I don't feel like a safe space with them. Um, another thing that I would say is to um, emphasize more of a relationship with Heavenly Father and of receiving personal revelation rather than placing emphasis on programs or church membership, church attendance, temple work. While those things are very important, they are not the most important thing. Um, I would say the most important thing is our personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. If that is strong, what else matters? Um, another thing would be to, um, as an ally, is, is to become stone catchers. Um, as has been said in general conference, um, I love the story um, where Jesus um, is in the temple and the scribes and the Pharisees bring the woman taken in adultery. And I think there's a lot we can learn from that, that story. Um, the Pharisees and scribes said to Jesus, they said, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. I, I think from this story, we can glean a lot from a good response to a difficult question. Um, first of all, it, it shows that Jesus, he was pondering and he, he waited. Um, I think in our interactions with LGBTQ plus individuals, I think we often want to give a quick response. We want to either um, defend the church's position, um, but I think it's important to stop and think like, what in my interaction with this person, what do I think they need from me? Do they want me to accuse them or do they want me to love them? And then it says that Jesus, after they continued asking him, so this wasn't just a one-time question, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So from this, we, we learn that Jesus, <laughs> not even he condemned this woman who, is, yeah, clearly sinned. <laughs> um, so I think in our interactions with others, it's important to first create a safe space Jesus made sure that all the other accusers were gone before he directly spoke with the woman. Um, make sure that you're in a good environment with other um, people, whether that's in your family. Um, and I found that it's best one-on-one -on -one to have these conversations. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's important 
that like we leave judgment to to Jesus. Um, I think our our biggest role as an ally is to to simply love and be present um, with LGBTQ plus individuals. Be happy when they're happy. Be sad when they're sad. And I think that's part of our baptismal covenant to bear one another's burdens that they may be light. I love this section, Adam, and I love the idea of creating safe places in our homes. I've thought about what advice I give to parents as they're raising up kids that are listening and have got sort of elementary age kids. And parents, you have sort of what I think is the right to do this your way. But generally, I think it, I didn't do this, but I do this now with junior high age kids or late elementary. I just explain. Um, sexual orientation. And I'd say there are people that are straight, there are people gay, there are people that are cisgender, there are people that are transgender. I don't think that's going to confuse your kid into being any of those. But I think it's just a factual education. And then you could say, if, you know, as you're aging up and coming to understand your sexual orientation or gender identity, this is how we'll respond. If you you know, most of you are straight. If you got a bunch of kids, you might talk to them. We, but if some of you aren't, this is how we're going to respond. And so they know sort of ahead of time what conversation they're, what content they're going to hear from their parents, and that's sort of ingrained into them. Um, at the age appropriate age, I don't know what that would be: early junior high, late elementary school. And so they still may not come out for a while, but they always know that conversation how it's going to go. Um, and you coached us on that conversation, Adam, in that segment. So that's just a thought, you know, as we're raising, as, as you're raising kids. And I think um, a bishop could do that. Um, you know, I don't, you probably got to get the parents okay to have that conversation in some ways, because some parents may not be okay with that. But I think, you know, why I say word, it's a little easier to say, you know, if any of you aren't straight and you tell me, this is how I'm going to respond. And I want you to know right now, because this is where I'm responding, that I'm a safe person for you. So just some ideas, you know, as we're brainstorming here, listeners, to create the safe places that Adam's inviting us to do. I think it's important as well to, um, yeah, avoid passing judgment um, in the church, especially. I think we use a lot of phrases like, I know that the church is true. And I wish there was more of an explanation, like what, what does that mean to you? What is, what is truth? Like what, what truth do you know? Um, I personally like feel like my testimony is under construction um, and I'm constantly kind of breaking things down, building them back up. Um, and I, and I, and so I just know that as it says in the article of faith that um, we believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal. And we believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things. So there's so much that we still don't know. And that's the beauty of a, of a continuing restoration. I think we so often emphasize that the church has been restored, but it hasn't been restored in all of its fullness. Um, yes, the, the ordinances necessary for salvation have been restored but there's so much that we still don't fully understand. Um, and I think in this space, there's certainly much that we don't understand. And so I think being open to that um, and acknowledging that with 
those that you come in contact with will help you to have better conversations with them. Um, another thing that I've recognized, um, I'll admit that I kind of joined this community and thought that I would be an expert, but obviously I don't understand as a cisgender male what it's like to be transgender. Um, but I think the least that we can do is to respect people um, and by using their correct pronouns. Um, again, going back to this idea that we don't we don't know um, how it'll all work out in the next life with regards to people's gender identity or their orientation. Um, but what we can do is love them in this life. Um, I think. I would always fear, like, am I condoning this by, for example, like liking a post on Facebook or um, attending like a gay wedding um, or asking for an invitation? But I would just say, is it showing love? Then, then do it. Um, I think it's also important to yeah meet people where they're at so if there's a transgender person in your ward take them to buy a dress or um, attend a gay wedding um, i think those things will not only open up your mind but hard to um in new ways to connect to those individuals um, there's a scripture that's part of the dedica dedicatory prayer for the kirtland temple um, found in dnc 109 verse 56 um, and it says that their hearts may be softened when thy servants shall go out from thy house, O Jehovah, to bear testimony of thy name, that their prejudices may give way before the truth, and thy people may obtain favor in the sight of all. I really like that phrase, that their prejudices may give way before the truth. Um, I think in the church, we have to recognize the prejudices um, that we carry, whether from our from our past. Um, and I hope that we can give way for the truth um, to be known. Um, I, yeah, certainly in the church, I, I hope that um, w more will be revealed. But in the meantime, I continue to have faith that um, God will guide me in what I'm supposed to do in my life. Um, recently, since I've come out, um, I made the decision to begin to date men. And while that was a very, very challenging decision, um, I have felt blessed. And again, I feel like I've been more receptive to the promptings of the spirit since, since making that decision. I felt like before I was paralyzed by fear um, and making choices based on um, what I've always been told or what, or fear of, of a certain outcome. Um, and as I've kind of stepped into this space, I've, I've realized that I, I can, I can trust myself um, to make good decisions as, as I follow the spirit. Um, recently, yeah, I was um, on a date and um, quite frankly, the guy asked me to lay on top of him and I was able to um, create that boundary and say, say no. Um, and so in, in small and simple ways, I've, um, 
been able to recognize the spirit telling me what is right and what is wrong. Um, and though for some members of the church, um, homosexual behavior is defined differently. I've asked multiple leaders what, how they would define it. And many of them don't give me a solid answer. Um, as I try to stay worthy of a temple recommend, I've um, learned that, yeah, a lot of this is between me and God. Um, and specifically with the law of chastity, I feel like um, I'm trying to treat it just as I would a heterosexual um, dating um, relationship. Um, and so, yeah, as I've kind of gone down this row, I've, I've felt more empowered and um, felt God guiding me more in each and every step of the way. Just to comment there, Adam, if I might, um, this kind of comes back to my original comment kicking off this podcast that I think one of the things Adam's done just a terrific job, and I hope that's coming out in the podcast, is just his great spiritual foundation that he's built, you know, his whole life. He's nearly three decades old. But I think particularly in the last decade, um, last 15 years, just this spiritual foundation you have concurrent with your understanding of your sexual orientation and looking at how to get personal revelation and spiritual insights and how to manage that and doing that in a very responsible way. And now that you're, I think you're very, you're your very best personal best you've ever been in your life. That doesn't mean you're perfect. <laughs> um, none of us are, but I think you're very at your very personal best when you're sort of coming to these forks in the road versus in your most vulnerable spot coming to those fork in the roads. And so I think one of the examples of that is having a boundary when you're dating. And I thought it was great. You just shared that boundary because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people that's helpful for other people that are saying, okay, if I'm going to go down that road a little bit, I've got to have a plan. And I, if I'm not in a very good spot emotionally and looking for just anybody to validate how I feel that may, I may be taken advantage of in, the, in that space in a way that isn't helpful for me. Um, why you are in a really good spot. And I would say also that just because you're dating men and I, and I like you being open with that doesn't mean, I don't think you're saying this, you're for sure that's your road. Sometimes you have to kind of get some experience on these three roads I'm talking about, you know, sort of being called to being celibate. Some really feel called to be celibate. It's not a default. It's not sort of forced into it. I think Men and women that are gay or lesbian do better if they feel called a mixed orientation marriage, um, ideally when both are talking about sexual orientation before marriage, and then you're feeling about dating men. But I think it's okay to sort of go down those roads. Obviously, you've been down the celibate road and you've dated women. And I just think listeners, and maybe I'm over-communicating, it doesn't mean you're committed to that road. I think it helps you just make a more informed decision as you're receiving personal revelation, of course, I'll always invite you to stay within the teachings of the church, but I'll also, and I'll also say, oh, we'll let you self-determine your best path forward and I'll walk with you without judgment. That's the way, listeners, I've navigated this space as a committed Latter-day Saint. And so I'll just support Adam, you know, what he feels is his best path forward. But I think you're doing a really good job of doing this in a really responsible way. Yeah, and I would go off of that and say, yeah, again, like I, 
am still very open to the idea. Like I said, like I haven't figured this all out. And I am still open to the idea of marrying a woman um, or, yeah, kind of like you said, staying celibate. Um, I will say that, like, for me, I don't know if that option is as um, plausible, just kind of knowing myself. Um, So I moved to California two years ago. um, And I do just kind of want people to understand kind of the, the intense loneliness that many LGBTQ plus individuals feel. Um, for me, I'd always envisioned kind of these major life events, a move, um, buying a house to be really exciting things. But honestly, for me, it kind of took the fun out of it. <laughs> I'm doing this all by myself for, for what I've, I, I've written in my journal, like, I'm just scared that this is, this is it. This is my life. Um, and so for me, having true connections with um, with other people in dating relationships that has brought so much more, um, growth in my life. Um, I, I did, I dated a woman, um, for four months and I mean, I learned a lot about myself and, um, and so much from that. And so I, I just felt like, um, I should continue to try to learn and grow in that way. I've found myself becoming more selfish as I lived independently. And so as I'm um, trying to um, yeah, get to know guys better and um, in a dating environment, I've just learned so much more. And especially like in California, I've found that I've had to be very open about my religious beliefs as well as like my boundaries. Um, and I've just immediately like connected with these guys more so than I've ever had before with women. Um, I just feel so much more connected to them. I, I feel like the church obviously comes up like on an an initial first date, as well as kind of my um, view on sex. And I always make it clear that, yeah, I'm, my plan is to save myself for marriage. Um, And a lot of them aren't (laughs) as open to that. Um, But yeah, I would just encourage um, members to not judge so harshly. There's a lot that we, we don't know. And, Kind of like I've said, I, I don't, I don't know what this, where this will take me, but as I trust God, I know that he'll let me know if this is the right path for me or if I need to um, either stop dating men and um, kind of change my, my trajectory. That's great. I just trust you. You know, and I, I love the way you're. Sometimes we say to people, you got to live your truth. And we give, you know, the outside world sort of says this way how to do it. Or somebody that's LGBTQ that has chosen a path. Some are pretty affirming of others choosing their path. But some sort of feel to validate my path, I want you to follow my path. And I think, I don't like to give LGBTQ people advice because you're walking a harder road. But I think it's good for all of us allies or other LGBTQ to just support um, LGBTQ people on what path they feel is best for them and not give shaming comments like you're not living your truth if you choose this path or you're not being authentic if you live this path or I think we just have to trust people um, and love them and support them. So just to kind of close out 
this podcast, I kind of want to emphasize kind of a, a what I would call a, a litmus test. <laughs> I feel like in the church, we often focus on checklist items that you go to seminary and you serve a mission, you come home and you marry in the temple. While those are all beautiful and important things, I they shouldn't be the focus for our attention. Um, so I just kind of want to walk us through an activity. So if it's safe, I want each of you to close your eyes and just kind of picture what, how you view heaven, um, perhaps the celestial kingdom. Um, and just think to yourself, who, who do you want to be there? And I want to take it a step further and ask, is there anyone who you do not want to be there? Or is there anyone in your mind does not deserve to be there? Um, you can think about your family circle, people in your workplace, school, past or present. How about people with certain political or religious beliefs? LGBTQ plus individuals. Um, I would even say in this current kind of situation with like war and I would say even um, race or ethnic groups or nationalities. I propose that if there's anyone who you would close the gates of heaven for, there's still work to be done. So mend any broken relationships, speak kinder words, be more vulnerable. And I often find that that openness is often returned. So just encourage each and every one of us to um, dig deep in our lives and, and ponder who we can reach out to um, today, maybe in this very moment, somebody who is, who you can think of who is struggling um, to feel God's love. Um, and I know that as we do that, that we can help to, to gather the one lost sheep that is, um, that needs to return to the fold. I know that I've oftentimes felt that way. Um, and I want those who are listening, who, who feel like they're beyond, um, the grasp of our, our savior's love that, that you are not. Um, you are deeply loved and that there's not any sin that is beyond the reach of our Savior's atonement. And I know that to be true. Thank you, Adam. It's a great spirit as you speak. Um, it's a credit to you. We haven't talked, you've talked in kind terms about your family, but if your parents are listening, you've done a great job raising a wonderful son um, who understands the gospel of Jesus Christ and has deep skills and insights and perspectives to give him foundation for the rest of his life and also to help many other people. Credit to your siblings, credit to everybody in your life, but a credit to you. And your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the foundation that gives you. I love this phrase, and your whole podcast echoes this phrase, we're called to gather, not sift. You have taught us that. 
no one's ever taken the celestial kingdom before in this 500 episodes of podcast, Adam, and sort of said, who do we want in the celestial kingdom with us? I think you took us to the 30 or 40,000 foot level when you think about that, the body of Christ that Paul talks about. Listeners, um, it's just been a terrific podcast of somebody 29 years old. Sometimes my LGBTQ kiss have this deep grounding in the gospel of Jesus Christ because they've had to because they haven't had answers to just how it all works for them. So they have to kind of go deep on their relationship with the Heavenly Father, the atonement to heal their broken heart, um, personal revelation. And you have done a really good job. And I know you're not on the finish line, but I think where you are right now makes the rest of your life possible. And I think you're at the very best spot you are. And I think you give vision for younger people to, to sometimes maybe slow down a little bit and just say, okay, I don't need to sort of address those forks in the road. Exactly how my life's going to turn out. I can do what Adam's done because I recognize where Adam is is a good spot. And it would be nice to be in that spot before I need to sort of approach these forks in the road, even though they give me anxiety and I want to know how the rest of my life's going to work out. I don't want to minimize that anxiety you may fear, feel, but the hope of the gospel. Um, I think we both just invite people that have heard things to act on your impression. If your parents, if your allies, if you're LGBTQ to help us create Zion in your circle of influence. So I'm going to just turn it back to you, Adam. If there's any last thoughts that come to your mind, I'd love you to share them. I guess I would just want to make it clear that, yeah, I don't ever want people to put me on a pedestal or compare their life path to, to mine or say that they need to do this because, because that's what I'm doing. Um, That's the beauty of our earthly experience is that we're all so unique and we have such unique personalities and traits and abilities to bring to, to bring to the table. And I'd encourage those who have perhaps distanced themselves from the the church that that if if you don't see a place for yourself that you can make one, um, because I know that there you are needed. Um, so yeah, I would just encourage everybody to. Um, Focus on their personal relationship with Heavenly Father. And as, as they do that, I know that they'll bring others with them. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for your invitation to help church be safe and to make sure that everybody feels needed. Um, Adam's 29. A thought came to my mind. You may not need to wait till you're 29. I don't want to infer that everybody's got to not approach these forks in the road until they're 29 because some of you are approaching those forks earlier in your 20s. Um, So I don't want to sort of create a correlated story here. Neither of us do. We just want to share Adam's story and take the principles of his story. One of the things I talk about a lot is it's good to hear all these stories, but you got to write your own story. (laughs) And um, But often hearing stories gives you principles that apply to your story to help you write your story better. So anyway, um, Adam Garrett, you're terrific. You have a great life ahead of you. And um, so this is Adam Garrett and Richard Osler signing off. And 
listeners, I'll link to Adam's Facebook posts in the show notes so you can um, read that Facebook post and obviously find Adam through Facebook. We'll tag him in our, my Facebook post when I post this on Facebook. But thank you, listeners, for listening. Thank you for sharing these podcasts and all that you're doing to connect people with this needed work. We'll sign off now for another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>